What is up, everybody? Welcome to NFTs in the Arena. You're with your hosts, Mike and John. John, what's going on? How are you today, brother? What's up, Mike? I'm lacking, dude. What's up, everybody? What's up, everybody? Yeah, so, John, I think um, there's a few things that I wanted to cover today. Just before we get into it, everyone that's listening and watching, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, we've been growing week on week. It's actually quite interesting observing the analytics behind the videos and which videos are doing well. And I think um, we're, this is episode 14 now, effectively. And apparently after 10 episodes, if you stick to it, it's like anything in life, if you're consistent, you typically will be able to get traction. And we started to see that now. We're getting some um, feedback from people, which is great. And I mean, I think it's testament to the work that we're doing here and the passion that we share. <laughs> But um, the, the first thing I wanted to go through today is, and one of the things we will talk about is the Ethereum uh, merge. And um, I think obviously that's the talk of the town now and what it actually means and what the benefits will be, what um, impact it will have on the cryptocurrency market as, as a whole. And um, much like SportsFinder is built on the Ethereum blockchain, what impact will that have on organizations that have built their technology on this particular stack and blockchain? So, John, the one thing that I, I, I saw that was quite interesting um, this past week, and I actually did a short video on it, was um, an article that was talking about how Nike, or Nike in the U.S., as they pronounce it here, uh, managed to raise close to $200 million in the sale of NFTs. And there's other brands like Tiffany & Co., Dolce & Gabbana, and even Adidas that have raised significant amounts of money by selling these digital assets that obviously represent their brands. But... It's interesting because when you look at the data, Nike sold close to 200 million. And you would imagine that Adidas is their direct competitor in most cases. Some people could argue that, I suppose. But they have only raised close to 10 million. But the reason why I bring this up is because I'm a huge fan of Nike and I'm a huge fan of Phil Knight and the history behind this brand. I mean, one of my favorite books was called um, The Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. And, I've, I've spoken about that book quite regularly in recent times, and I think it's based on his humbleness and um, his willingness to allow people to make decisions for the betterment of the company because he was um, of the opinion that he didn't know everything. And I quite like that, and I think it's an important trait of leadership. I've gone off on a bit of a tangent, but the reason why I want to speak about it is that I, th I find it interesting that a brand like Nike, which um, I know that you are more of an Adidas guy, but it's perceived as one of those brands that always breaks the boundaries. They were one of the first to get into the space. And they always are the ones that are setting the trends. And I think it's super fascinating that a brand like this is entering a market where there's so much scrutiny around what is the value of an individual buying a Nike NFT? I mean, and there's people talking about that your, your avatars and whatever metaverse you decide to operate in can wear a Nike shoe or a jacket or a cap, whatever it may be. What, what do you think? Why do you think brands like Nike are trying to enter this space? And like, where do you see other opportunities for uh, brands alike? Maybe not even in the fashion space, but in other spaces outside of that. Look, there's there's so many various reasons why someone or brand would want to get into this space. But if I were to look at it from my perspective, I think that to try and fund projects in the Web3 domain with public money and um, invested interest from, like, uh, should I say, professional investors and all that kind of stuff, much like what Tesla did when they bought into Bitcoin. 
I think there was a lot of people that got quite offended by that move, thinking it was quite a high-risk um, play by Elon. But with that being said, uh, I think it opened up the playing field to a lot of people being courageous enough to take a step into this domain. But what, what I think uh, a lot of um, high-profile individuals have realized is that they can seed or, or fund these projects in these spaces through uh, finding retail investment from people in the crypto space. Mm. So much like, um, uh, like just in general, people are funding these proje projects, aligning with who they and what they are interested in. Like for instance, yourself, you're a big Nike fan. So if you are in, in into wanting to invest into an NFT, I think Nike would be a great option for you being a, 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 essentially a, a fan of the brand, perhaps even a brand ambassador someday through uh, a lot of these smart uh, contracts. And this is what it allows brands to do in the future is to gain retail investment to ultimately fund projects that they want to pursue in the Web3 domain and at the same time benefit the, the people that actually funded it from inception phase. So yeah, I think that's my opinion about how this is playing out. And obviously there's a lot of trial and error, which is going to allow other brands to find wisdom through these uh, courageous efforts from the people that are pioneering it right now. Yeah, I mean, I think using the word like courageous, I think it stands true because I think a lot of people that have put their name and associated their name to NFTs, to cryptocurrencies will naturally come under um, a spotlight because, I mean, it's like anything. When people don't understand it, they will question it and they will really kill it. And you see, you see that a lot across various industries, not only in the crypto and NFT space. I think even in any form of investing, whether it's in um, stock markets or um, funds or whatever that may be. And I think the people that are, come out smiling, the people that come out at the end, yes, a lot of people can make smart decisions and maybe not take risks, but I think it's the guys taking risks that actually reap the rewards. And obviously you can't really see that now. But the thing I liked about Nike is that I mean, they are a fashion giant, and I think they have a unique following. And, I mean, having raised $200 million, it's insane. It's, I don't even know how many transactions that would have been. But, mm. and I, I was having this conversation because, yeah, like, like you quite rightly said, I'm like a Nike fan or purchase of Nike um, apparel. But if you had to ask me, would I go and buy a Nike NFT? Probably not. But then again, mm. I'm not that much into gaming. And I would imagine the guys in the gaming world that are, looking to enter the metaverse space that are competing currently in, um, in these various platforms, whether it's through gaming or whatever it may be, are probably drooling at this kind of, this kind of um, opportunity. Because if you think about it, I mean, there's a guy like Kate that has um, that La, La Familia place where he's selling these, these high-end um, sneaker brands for ridiculous amounts of money because of their rarity which is what NFTs effectively are, right? So the value is in the eye of the beholder. And I mean, for a person buying a pair of um, Air Jordans for a couple of thousand dollars, I mean, for them, they can't think of anything else, but that, that's the best decision because also they may be thinking that the sell-on value of that particular pair of Nike shoes based on not only because it's Jordan, but because of a particular period in time, um, are thinking about the sell-on value of and I think that's where I see the value of an NFT or brand like Nike. Yes, yes. 
So, so basically, let, let me let me get you before you, you're basically saying that Nike has this idea that they want to create an opportunity for people to grow with their uh, with this investment as an NFT, right? Mm. Well, or, I think that, in my, my opinion, that's that's the intention of NFTs to create utility yeah. or value beyond the sale. Yeah, because this is what I think a lot of people are, 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 are focusing on NFT around is the, the idea that it's, it's primarily just an investment. It's, it's like a collectible baseball card. Like, for instance, if I were to buy a Michael Jordan back when it first released for like $5, now it's a couple million. Like, that's an investment in theory. Mm-hmm. Um, but then not let's not misconstrue that concept with NFTs because, like, then it completely nullifies the idea of smart contracts because for me uh right now the nft space is is prevalent with with investors and people trading them and making money like that that makes sense much like crypto a lot of people are in the space for for gains and um, not necessarily the technology i'd say five ten percent of people are yeah primarily for the technology much like in the nft space because even Gary Vee says that that concept, NFT, might even change in the future. They might even change the name of it. It might not even be a non-fungible token, purely because it's technology that, that kind of um, predicates the movement of, of what an NFT is going to be in the future. And that's essentially giving so much value back to the person that first jumped on board, like with that Nike NFTs. If you bought and it cost you like $100 for one of them, and despite the, the price action in the future, for you to be able to be an affiliate or an ambassador of the Nike brand in five to 10 years where you can go to any Nike store and get 20% off, that is going to be the true value, I believe, with what an NFT is essentially besides the price action. That is just a bonus. That's a byproduct, I think. Um, and perhaps a lot of brands are yeah, just to give uh, back to the community in essentially bringing them on board through NFTs and then raising that, that investment over time. I think that's, that's amazing. But I, as that unravels, they'll start to realize, oh, we can actually do this. We can do that. We can tokenize this, et cetera. And that's where the true value is going to be. And people might not even know that right now, the people that have bought into it. So, yeah. You know, you know, you know, it's interesting. I just remembered. So this article, I think the analysis was done by, it's called Dune Analytics, and they obviously do analytics and research brands that are obviously not really operating in this space. But the one thing I do remember was that after looking at the analysis is that Nike had initially received, I think it was $93 million in royalties, right? Which are yeah. essentially the payments that are used to compensate the original NFT creators in any other um, platform or scenario. And the original NFT creators for the use of, they, they, they get in remunerated for the, the use of their virtual artworks in the secondary marketplace, right? Mm, the, mm. the thing that I, I, I find incredibly interesting, I think it's worth bringing up now, is that the company's NFT collection, so the initial sales were 93 million, which is insane on its own. And really, yes. trust all the other brands that I mentioned, like Dolce & Gabbana, uh, Tiffany & Co., Adidas, and so on. But the NFT collection made 93 million, Mm. Um, in primary sales, like I said, but 92 million in secondary sales, which is mm. insane, right? So the, the, the yes, initial yes. sale, the secondary value has already been valued at the initial um, 
market mm. value, which is insane. And the reason why I bring that up is because people are probably already buying and purchasing these things as short-term investments. Like yes. kind of talking to what you say, what people would do with with a, a physical card. But you know mm. why I think Nike is doing so well in this space because now they are effectively the front runners. They, it looks like they're spearheading the the, the space in Web3. Is that they had acquired a company called um, RTF KT. It's a I think that it's it's a, it's a it's a company that created virtual sneakers for the company. Right, and digital sneakers okay. called Metaverse. I think they bought them in mid-December last year. But the original terms of the deal weren't disclosed, but I think they could have spent well over $30 million acquiring this company, right? But the nice thing yeah. is that, and you start to see the, the reason as to why they purchased RTFKT. I'm not too sure what it stands for, but is that I think Nike being this footwear giant unveiled Nike land. <laughs> Which is mad because oh, now no. they've started to see a 3D virtual space where fans can connect, create, share experiences, and, and compete essentially. Which is where I think mm. it will be most interesting is the competition around creating the, these opportunities. Um, I think the, the interest with blockchain technology is um, dates back to 2019, even. I think even though they had positions in 2020, they. And I remember reading these things that like the company was looking at blockchain technology to tokenize the ownership of exclusive shoes, yeah. right? So it kind of speaks to what we were doing. But I love the fact that brands like Nike are spearheading this place because they kind of taken away that perception that NFTs is just a hoax, it's just a fad. And yes, a lot of the collections that went out last year were. But I think brands having brands like Nike back it up is incredibly good for the space, and not only for NFTs, but for the metaverse and Web3 as a whole. Definitely. It's going to snowball it. <clears throat> and the next person is going to say, we need to raise more than Nike if we want to actually really do this. Otherwise, I'm not involved. That's how, how our big leaders are going to think now, especially if they're jumping into it. I honestly believe that there's most, most uh, boards are speaking about this shit right now and how they're going to uh, optimize going forward, how they're coming into the space. I already knew last year that from, from a, a big hex whale that all major South African banks are, 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 had a conference around how they're going to create a, a digital token. And that's essentially an NFT, if you want to call it that, because they're not going to go out there and say, hey, join our cryptocurrency. They're going to say, this is our standard bank money. This is FNB money. Much like eBucks, I think they're just going to say, okay, do we create an eBucks and create a digital token of that, or do we create a whole new product? Just, so just for, the people, watch... for the people listening, can you just explain like what eBucks is? Because obviously you're talking on like South African terms, which yeah, yeah, one yeah, thing yeah, yeah, to, yeah. to note is that South African banking system is leaps and bounds ahead of the, the United States, if you ask me. Maybe not, yes, yes. not with regards to the backing or the power, but the technology mm. Is ten times better. The, the the user interfaces, the experience, and everything around it is so much better. And it's so fascinating for me to see because they're still cutting checks here. They're still using faxes here. They're still <laughs> these outdated technologies and processes in a banking system that is worth trillions of dollars, right? So going back to the point, can you explain what an e-box is and why why it's important for this conversation? Because I think for the people listening, yes. it's incredibly valuable. 100% because I like if you were to look at a strategy model, uh, an FMB uh, 
CEO might say, let's, let's convert our e-bucks, which is essentially a loyalty reward for spending with certain uh, affiliated partners. Like if you were to go to a certain food store and you spend money there, you receive uh, a percentage back. If you go to a certain petrol station, gas station, you receive a certain percentage back as an e-bucks, which you can then go and transact with with certain partners, for instance, like Takelot, which is essentially South Africa's Amazon, you can go and use your e-bucks to purchase things there. So mm. for instance, would F&B consider saying, all right, let's tokenize this e-bucks and this is our digital currency going forward. And everyone can now essentially invest in e-bucks or this is where the problem comes in because now mm. it's, it's, it, it fluctuates. Now, today you can have hundred e-bucks that's worth hypothetically hundred dollars, but tomorrow it could be $80. So therefore it can't really hold true to a currency. This is the, the, what, what Bitcoin couldn't really do. It, it became like such a, a demanding asset that people started pumping money into it. And then what would, what would uh, give you an incentive to spend your Bitcoin at the gas station, for instance, to buy some cool drink? There's no reason for you to do that because tomorrow it might be worth double that. So that couldn't work as a currency. And this is what I think a lot of people are trying to create and understand and model because uh, you don't want it to be inflationary or deflationary in any way. You want it to be as consistent or pegged to something that is consistent, much like a stable coin. And I think this is where that conference uh, with all the banking people were, were having a discussion as to how we are going to uh, create a, consensus amongst all the banking systems in the country and the government as to implementing uh, a strategy that doesn't create a fluctuation uh, in the digital space as a currency, for instance, for each bank. Okay. No, I, th I, think, I think you hit the nail on the head with how companies and brands will look to establish new ways in which they can engage further and generate additional revenue by offering these types of perks and benefits, like we've spoken about e-bucks from the South African Bank, uh, First National Bank, FMB. But I think you, 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 you strung a chord here, and maybe we can segue the conversation to that. Like you're talking about how maybe cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum aren't ready to be traded on a daily basis, like, like you've just mentioned, because they're so volatile. But we will eventually get to a point, I believe, where we would be able to do so. Which takes me to the conversation of this whole conversation around the Ethereum merge. And for those of you that are watching for the first time, there's an Ethereum merge which is coming, which I believe will be the most significant and probably the most substantial upgrade to the Ethereum network to date. I was watching a podcast with Vitalik Buterin, um, who's essentially the founder and brainchild of Ethereum. And um, he was kind of saying that I think a lot of people are under the illusion that with this merge and the anticipation of this merge and the speculation around it and the changing the dynamics of this of this particular um, um, phenomenon, some would say, is that um, a lot of people think that the gas fees are going to drop, and a lot of people think that the the, the total network throughput won't um, will increase. But I think a lot of people are under the illusion and maybe are mistaken by what by virtue of what's going on around in in, in the media. One of the things that I wanted to touch on, and maybe we can just um, talk about that for now, is that there's no doubt that the Ethereum is the core to Web3. I think a lot of people are now seeing 
this this comparison between Ethereum and Bitcoin. Although Ethereum is far behind Bitcoin, I think the backing of Ethereum is particularly by a particular kind of investors is giving good um, good stance that this could be the next big thing. And I think they, they're talking about this under proof of work or this POW where miners confirm blocks by solving um, the cryptographically complex consumption problems, right? Consuming energy is the biggest thing. And a lot of the people are saying now is that with the new Ethereum merge, the biggest asset and the biggest um, benefit to that is the reduction in the energy required in order to produce Ethereum. And then they speak about this. I think it's called the under proof of stake, POS, which is solving these problems and as collateral it can be destroyed if the, the validator behaves dishonestly or unreliably. Like I think it's pretty pretty technical, but it's it's worth worth talking about. But I know you also invest um, quite avidly in cryptocurrencies, and uh, I do know that you, you do have some investments in Ethereum. Do you think that this merge is going to have the impact that people um, presume it will be? And if so, what kind of impact do you think it will have based on the research or the, no, the know, know-how that you actually acquire? Well, look, uh, yeah, um, I'm, I'm a firm believer in Ethereum purely because... Um, I, I dig Bartlett. He's a cool guy. Uh, if you look into his story and you start to listen to him a, a little more, you'll start to realize that he he's quite an individual one can resonate with. And I'd much rather have a person like him in the driving position as opposed to Mark Zuckerberg, purely because uh, I feel like Bartlett is a is a nerd, but a nerd with a backbone. <laughs> If that makes well, sense. Yeah, like, uh, I, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting way of putting it, though, dude. Because yeah, I mean, dude, like, it kind I, of gives across that impression, right? I don't think anyone's like, questioning. Mm, like, for instance, just what he did with the Shiba um, contribution that the team from Shiba donated to him. And it was so interesting how they did that because they gave it to him in his cold wallet, which was stored in Canada. Uh, so he couldn't really access it uh, at ease. So eventually when he got there, he noticed he had all this stuff and he donated it. It was like <laughs> fucking like six to seven billion dollars, bro. Like for a person to, to give away money like that. And also I think he burned some of it. I don't even I don't know the specifics. But nonetheless, to be so altruistic with so much money is unreal. Um because he benefited a couple of foundations, I think two in India or some shit like that. And I thought, yeah, man, this, this, this guy's not about the money, which is for me a very important facet to, to what, what drives my motto in life. Cause I don't, I think money is just a tool and, and people that make it all about money, like for instance, an, uh, Adam Newman, the guy who started WeWork, um, is a money guy, <laughs> but that's akin to people from Israel, uh, good salesmen, good business people in general, but, uh, I think lack the virtue of what, what's truly fundamental to what is the real reason you're in business is to problem solve and, and, and enrich and embrace people as much as possible. And I think Vitalik is that guy and hence why Ethereum will succeed. But back to the question is, I find it's still going to cap, even with this ETH 2.0, whatever you want to call it, it's still going to cap. Uh, and I, I, I could be mistaken, it's, I think about a million transactions a second or a day, uh, I don't want to get uh, 
perplexed by this technicalities, but there is a cap in terms of how many transactions can happen on the blockchain. And hence, this comes back down to what is the main reason that drives the price of gas fees. So gas fees can stay the same essentially purely because the demand is high. You'll find now that the gas fees are quite low purely because there's not much transactions happening because we are in a little bit of a bear market. There's a bit of a, a bad stigma with NFTs, all that kind of stuff. Because NFTs are essentially what drove up the gas prices uh, a couple months ago. Because there was so much hype. People were pushing things left, right, and center. That's essentially when Board A came alive. Um, and yeah, like that's going to imply or it's going to open up an opportunity for other chains like Solana, like Cardano, like um, for me, a main one is Pulse to come into the market and provide a solution that Ethereum might not be able to um, solve. And that could be transaction speeds, that could be uh, up and downtime, all that interesting things that we, we don't take, or well, we actually take for granted, for instance, in a business or a banking app. Um, these are facets that are, are, are being implemented by, by software developers when they can look at Ethereum as, as a schematic and say, how can we improve this chain? And they either fork the Ethereum or they build on top of it. Despite how they do it, there are innovations that are going to come to existence as time and as more people take adoption to the space. Because if you think about it, there are millions of transactions that are happening in the banking system on a day-to-day -day basis. If that all had to come onto the blockchain, I don't believe that Ethereum can handle that. Other people and other chains are going to be out there for, for, <laughs> they, they out there to grab market share essentially. And it's just a matter of time. So people that are, are investing in these, these respective chains are going to, are going to reap the benefits in the long run. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, just that, was, that was incredible the way you actually articulated that. But I think the last thing I wanted to mention, and I think is worthy, worthy of people that are listening, is that like, what are the actual changes after the merge? Like, the merge brings several key changes. But I think notably the ones that I can recall is like miners um, are replaced with validators, which is something that mm. I wanted to, to touch on because I think it forms a big part of this, even though it's a small facet of the various changes that will actually have an impact on this. But like, I think pre, pre um, 2020 and before when everyone was still um, getting into the, the, the crypto space and we had these miners, like last week I interviewed a gentleman from Memento NFT, Julian uh, Rodriguez, who was one of the first guys that worked with Vitalik Buterin uh, on Bitcoin Magazine all the way in 2013. And he was a, a Bitcoin miner. And we were speaking about this, and I think it's worthy of talking about here, is that this whole move from proof of work to proof of stake, which is essentially what the main thing will be, is that it will replace miners with validators. And what mm -hmm. that means is instead of needing a powerful mining rig, as they would say, Chris also spoke about this in our previous episode, how yes. to mine in, in, the, in the computer labs at university, is that instead of needing a powerful mining rig to participate as a validator now, all someone needs is, I think, 32 Ethereum, which is quite a lot, but to stake, and then three separate pieces of software you would need is an execution client, a consensus client, and I think it's called just a, a validator as it is. And the biggest part about validators that I think is so, so fascinating is that validators will now propose new blocks 
and they will submit, I think it's called attestations, effectively votes, in inverted commas, and monitor for, I think it's called the slashable offenses, like penalties, which is interesting. Now they started to penalize people for certain things and inefficiencies, mm. which I quite like. But as a validator, um, you will stay active until I think it is, you have voluntary ex exits. It's, I think your balance drops between 16 Ethereum or you get slashed, which is, of course, going to change now the whole dynamic. And for a lot of people listening here, this is potentially an opportunity to move or transition from becoming a miner to a validator. And I think it's worth definitely exploring further. So mm -hmm. I think, I think on, on the merge, I think that's quite a, quite a, um, quite a well-rounded conversation around that. But you, you spoke about Pulse Chain now, and I know you're super passionate about it. And I think it's, it's something that I want the audience to learn a bit more about because it's not as mainstream as these other uh, cryptocurrencies and blockchains that we've spoken about. Yes. How would you explain Pulse Chain in the most simplest way or as to why you, you, you want to invest or you would recommend investing in Pulse Chain? I just think it's, it's everything Ethereum is but without its mistakes. So what I, what I mean by that is, unfortunately, the guys like even the dude that started Bitcoin, you, you don't really understand what you're designing for until it, it, it unravels itself and comes to fruition. Like, for instance, no one really knew what Bitcoin was going to become until it is now dubbed the, the digital gold, right? So essentially, you can't, so the code is, is, is predicated on, on, on your boundaries. And that's the problem Ethereum is facing, hence why they had to upgrade. And they had to do it so well that they had to create a, a, a beacon chain, which is essentially a chain that's underneath, just so that they can do beta testing and, and run uh, proofs and all this <laughs> technical stuff so that they cannot put uh, the, the typical investor person at risk that ha owns Ethereum or has bought on the Ethereum blockchain. You don't want to compromise any of those people. So you kind of need to come up with something that's super smart. And this team did that in order to, to, to optimize this. But eventually that's going to get to a point where it's going to mm -hmm. need to be optimized again, but you can't do so many optimizations until you need to fork. So this is where I believe the Ethereum um, and the Bitcoin and perhaps any, even Pulse, for instance, can find mm. some a potential obstacle in the future that you didn't know <laughs> existed when you were designing. Because that's, that's unfortunately the nature of, of code is that it's only as good as your understanding of what's in reality or what you're trying to solve. More things will unravel as you solve X, there's a new problem Y, so this, that, this is why if I look at Ethereum and, you want, and then I try and compare it with Pulse, Pulse hasn't even launched, so it's difficult to say exactly what it is. But from what I've heard, it's essentially just a faster, um, more reliant uh, piece of software than Ethereum. In a nutshell. Yeah, and I think, I mean, uh, that, that is the perfect way to go for them because I think Pulse Chain is leveraging Ethereum, right? And it's set to effectively help it make it more efficient and more effective, right? Which will in inevitably be uh, impacted by this merge now with Ethereum, I would imagine. 
So it will be good to, to touch base on this a few months down the line with regards to Pulse Chain because it will be interesting to see if that propelled it or actually um, had a negative impact on it. I think it's the would be more of the former as opposed to the latter in this regard. Yeah. 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 Well, look, yeah. we've come to the oh, end. Just... We, we've come to the end. If you if you feel like there is any other topic that you wanted to discuss, the the floor is yours. If not, we can we can close it for today. Um, I do know that we 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 have a lot that we still need to talk about. But um, do you do you have time to carry on, or do you do you need to um, head out? Yeah, we can rock and roll, bro. We can, okay, can can jam. Just being I'm conscious of, of your time. Yeah, no, that, that's perfect. All right. So the next thing that I had here that was probably going to be for the next episode, mm. we might just delve into it now, is that, uh, where is this thing? Give me a second. So this is something that, we could probably delve into next week, but there's there an article by um, Cointel Graph, which is essentially this 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 company that's not only doing articles, but they're very involved in the crypto space. I'm actually going to be interviewing one of the founders in the coming weeks, which will be quite great, and I'd love to have you on, is that Meta, which is obviously owned by, that owns Facebook and Instagram, mm. um, has announced now that users can post NFTs from their digital wallets. And this was loaded 10 hours ago. So we all are anticipating wow. this. And I think we all have been of the opinion that this will change the game because I think they have such a stronghold in society and the mm. access that this will provide and mm. it will open up people to NFTs, I believe. I think this mm. this introduction of allowing people to transact with NFTs on these social media mm. platforms is what's going to be the, the, the catalyst that will start yes. to people's interest that never had an interest in this before. Because we know how people are, yes. uh, uh, social media, people are trend followers. And I think it's it's quite an interesting thing to see how they're going to do that. And mm. with these digital collectibles and um, through people's accounts and linking their wallets. Yes. How, what, do you, what do you think of that? Like, how do you think that this is going to be anticipated or taken on by people on social media like Instagram and Facebook? You know, like s social media is a beast on its own. It's creating a mm -hmm. whole new uh, version of a human. Um, and with Facebook being the, the whole meta, being the, the main reason for this, they I, I just see them as a, a, a very capitalistic or centralized entity trying to gain dominion of, of all the people and, and completely brainwash them into being <laughs> numbed out from, from what's, what's truly real by feeding them a whole bunch of bullshit. So by introducing NFTs, yes, it's, it's going to create a lot of mass adoption, but unfortunately it's going to allow a company like Meta to retain a lot of the market share, which is unfortunate because you, this is not what crypto is designed to do or, NFTs in a nutshell, we're trying to create decentralization, we're trying to create a, a, a world where, where people are, are free to move, are, are open to, to being <laughs> in a position to live. 
that's 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 unfortunately influenced by money. So this is why crypto exists, and people like men are just jumping on board to retain their market share. Mm. So yeah, I, I, I do think that it has its positives, but it also has its negatives. But with this being said, like how long can they really play this game of of trying to allure or manipulate the the end user in, into believing that this is the organization to be with because it's not 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 long until someone comes along on ethereum that that provides a solution much like they do but just requires the right people to to create a movement because that's ultimately what it's about you need the kardashians you need these people to endorse it for it to actually become a thing you know, like that's the unfortunate nature of it, but you know, like no one's gonna jump onto some fucking blockchain social media company that believes in the, 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 the beauty or virtue of humans, but there's no cool guy or cool cheeky on there. Like you know what I mean? Like it's not gonna happen, dude. You're gonna get those those niche Reddit motherfuckers that are there. But you're not really gonna get the, the whole public. <laughs> that's what you want. You you wanna solve the issue of what Facebook's doing. So, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I think I think it's going to take off, and I and the reason mm. why I think it's going to take off is because people are denating us, particularly the people that are active on social media, to want to follow the tricks, want to take part, want to get the yes. we know about this. I don't think people are even conscious half the time when they're posting stuff. Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean that's a debate for another day. I mean, like, wow, can you just imagine now people with their NFTs on their profiles? Um, I think. I'll give I'll give I'll give two sides to what I feel. I think it's also going to be a lot of crap up into the top, like with people <laughs> trying to post things. I mean, for lack of a better word, I can't think of any other way to explain it. That I think it's going to also distort the way people perceive NFTs because, like now, it's getting access to people that don't actually really have an acumen to understand the true utility and benefit mm. behind an NFT. But on the other end of the spectrum, I think. What I would like to do is bring in the conversation I had with Julian from Momento NFT. So Momento NFT is essentially a social media platform that allows creators to, to mint and create NFTs, whether it's in video format or in static. And they, they have quite a lot of users already, I think close to 40,000 people. And um, the one thing I find interesting and something that I, I could definitely get behind is the access that it creates for people that are in underprivileged areas or in parts of the world that potentially may not be able to generate revenue through a non-fungible token now have the opportunity to do so and they can get full ownership of that because they're effectively creating these NFTs. And because obviously mm -hmm. Fund is very involved in, in the sports space and we, we are offering a dedicated NFT marketplace platform, there is clear indication that platforms like Momento NFT that is allowing now creators, athletes, anyone to create their own NFTs with very minimal minting fees, which is, I think, been a barrier for a lot of people to, to list on OpenSea, for example. I think companies like that will be the ones in which Instagram will copy and mimic mm -hmm. and do what they've done like they copied Snapchat with the stories. Snapchat stories yes. were the first before I went on Instagram, right? And then the reels were from TikTok and Instagram and um, like that. I do think that these companies and backed by Meta, because they have such a stronghold 
or a company, even like Momento NFT, where the founder of the company has such a uh, influence in the crypto and Web3 space, where he has a direct relationship with Vitalik, will still struggle just by, due to the sheer mass. And I think a lot of people may argue that they don't believe that's the case, but I think the way in, way in which society is moving with this whole woke movement and the way in which people take to brands is also interesting because maybe people will revolt against um, social media platforms like Instagram and Facebook, and maybe, the, maybe this is the tipping point, right? Introducing NFTs, who knows? But the point is that I think that because they're doing this, we're going to see an interesting shift in the way in which NFTs and crypto is perceived because it's going to speak to a mass audience and speaking to people that maybe aren't as um, educated around the space. Yeah, and this is exactly how they can take charge. And perhaps much like a lot of exchanges, you don't really own your crypto. Uh, they own your wallet. They own your keys. And that's that's exactly what's going to happen with um, Facebook bringing on their own version of NFT. It could be a cheesy ass, a little pop up cartoons or something. Well, well, they, they they tried to create their own. I think I think they tried to create a stable coin, Meta, or at least Meta tried to in February. But I think yeah, 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 yeah. they face so much pushback by like regulators, not only here but globally. And I think Mark Zuckerberg um, was saying there was a massive opportunity and up to trillions of dollars in digital asset space as um, can can be utilized, mm. can be uh, realized. And the company, I think, at the time reported maybe a one percent drop in the revenue year over year in the second mm. quarter of twenty twenty two. But I still believe that companies like Meta, Facebook and Instagram are gonna are gonna take a stronghold on the space, whether we like it or not. But I think it's it's up to people like these guys from Pulse Chain to come in and actually maybe offer different solutions in which maybe people are tired are tired of experiencing with these these massive social media giants. Yeah. Um I'd, I look I I don't think this these these like you said that they will take a stronghold in the domain, uh, I agree. And that's purely because of the economy of scale. Mm-hmm. They've got most of the peeps on board. It's quickly tra- to, to transcend um, this Web2 domain into the Web3 domain for a company like Facebook, were they to, first of all, tick the boxes in regulations, um, software mechanisms, or whatever you need to do in order to make that work. Once you've ticked all those boxes, you're in the money. <laughs> you're done. Mm-hmm. You, know I mean? you can yeah. literally just post it. You can, for the next fucking year, you can have a banner on top of Facebook or Meta or whatever, just saying, hey, do you want to have an NFT? You know, like it's it's, it's possible, bro. <laughs> like they can do it at a click of their a finger. They can gain market share like crazy. And this is this is a big thing. But with that being said, look at what TikTok's done to a company like Meta. Um, and there's going to be another version of that in the future. And that's yeah. continually going to go. And as we funnel out and as the, the baby boomers funnel out and the Gen Z and the Gen X and whatever you want to call them come along, who are they fucking with, right? That's essentially what, what the people at the made are concerned about. This is why they're trying to implement NFTs because that's more of a long run. It's, it's, it's sustaining the user. Yeah. It I've is got it. The made NFT, like, fuck, I've got that shit. It's worth money. Why would I want to sell it? So you, you do be, you fall part of that um, 
loyalty program as a result of, of bringing on board this technology. Mm. But over time, how long can that sustain itself? That's, that's the real question. Because if they're going to just jump on it from a trend perspective, it might work just much the same way in the inverse. Right? And this is why I, I like to right. align with people that, yeah, that, that have a real vision. Because that isn't Mark Zuckerberg's vision, bro. His vision, he did it. He succeeded. He must pass on the baton. He created a social dynamic for the rest of the world to network. Initially, it wasn't even that, dude. It was just for his university. And even slapped a few people around to get where he was. And now he's there. <laughs> now he wants mm. to go and take other people's ideas. No, bro. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> I've never heard that just but I love it. That's why, you, that's why you're the best, John. Okay, well, John, I think we're coming to the end of the, the episode. I mean, thanks again for everyone uh, listening. I think please um, continue to comment on our, on our podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and our various social media channels. John, as always, any closing remarks? Yeah, actually, something came to mind, bro, while we we're chatting. It was a I think it's by Confucius. He says, uh, we live two lives and we start the second one when we realize we only have one. And I was like, wow. You only have one. Your second life starts when you realize you only have one. Oh, so it's obviously when you become enlightened. Yeah, yeah, when you become enlightened. Yeah, you change your way of life. And this is what I believe crypto has brought me is, is a, a new way of life, a new opportunity. That, that, for instance, the, the system didn't give me. You know, like I went to the role, the road that people said was the right road because the system or society deemed it right. And I did all that shit, and I was still in a position where the system, I didn't meet criteria. <laughs> mm. So this is what I'm saying is that crypto is a new perspective. It's a new opportunity for people to find, um, you know, potential. Let's put it that way. No. I think, I think that's a perfect way to end off because it is creating opportunities, not only crypto yes. and NFTs for creators that potentially would not have had access to a particular audience. I mean, there's so many yes. creators that have monetized themselves and their brand just on OpenSea and the NFT rush that I would call it from last year. But having said that, John, mm -hmm. take care. Everyone, thank mm -hmm. you so much. Uh, we'll see you next week. Nice